Avmovents is a recognized leader in specialty distribution, providing a wide array of content to movie theaters globally. Fathom's slate of offerings includes live performances from the Metropolitan Opera, Fathom's big screen classic series, documentaries including Oscar winner Navalny and Mother Teresa No Greater Love, which was the number two best-selling doc of 2022. They continue to bring the best of anime, including Studio Ghibli Fest, and a full offering of faith-based programming including The Chosen to the big screen. A featured events on the horizon include the 45th anniversary of Greece, a Fathom first look of gold in partnership with Bleecker Street, Ponyo and the Blind, the true story behind the patriarch of TV's beloved Duck Dynasty. Fathom is your go-to partner for compelling cinema content. Go to FathomEvents.com for more details. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the pulse of theatrical exhibition. Here once again with my colleague and co-host Rebecca Pauly, Deputy Editor of Box Office Pro. And in today's episode, we will be going over all of the highlights of CinemaCon 2023 with our recap, a nice wrap-up of the entire event. If you want in-depth coverage of everything CinemaCon, why don't you go over to our episode history page and listen to our daily episodes that we recorded from Las Vegas all last week. You'll be able to get a lot more insights from that episode series. We'll be doing a big macro-level overview in today's episode. And in our feature segment, we're joined by Alan Rowe, the CEO of Jack Rowe, a cinema technology company that was present at CinemaCon 2023 to hear a little bit more about the point-of-sales technology evolution that we're looking at cinemas today and hear a lot more insights on what the trade show at CinemaCon 2023 was like. But Rebecca, let's start off the way we usually do, not by talking about movies that we saw recently. This time, now that we're finally back from CinemaCon, we're going to be talking about sleep. Did you get any sleep last weekend? Oh, I got a lot of sleep because at a certain point, my body just crashed. I think we both we both got a little sick there. We came away with a little bit of CinemaCon crud. <laughs> yes, if you hear that in my voice, which is deteriorating by the second here, that is CinemaCon 2023, and specifically the karaoke night we had with our colleagues from the box office company on Thursday night, a heart-wrenching rendition of Taylor Swift's love story that I dedicated to our very own Romeo Duchenne opening the night that uh, did in my voice, I think, for the next week or so. But uh, let's get into the box office here because it was another strong weekend for the Super Mario Brothers movie. Rebecca, this became the first billion-dollar earner worldwide of 2023, ending up uh, in first place at the box office last weekend. Meanwhile, new opener from Lionsgate, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, coming up short with a disappointing 6.8 million haul. Both movies are going to be carried over to next weekend, but we're really not expecting them to make much of an impact because it's opening weekend for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Box Office Pro is forecasting a benchmark of around $100 million plus for the opening weekend here on a three-day gross domestically for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Expect something $110 million and a little bit higher is what we're looking at. More or less in line with uh, prior debuts in the series. In 2015, the first Guardians of the Galaxy opened at $94 million, and the sequel, which came out in 2017, opened to a slightly more robust $146 
six million. This one, I think, is going to be between those two polls, between 110 and 140. That's more or less where we're expecting. When we talk about the domestic totals, the first Guardians of the Galaxy played out to 333 million domestically, and the sequel went up to 389 million domestically. We are adjusting that a little bit here for volume three somewhere in the range of 250 to 350 million for a domestic run for this Guardian series, depending on a lot of factors, right? Word of mouth, competition from other titles. We're starting to get to that point in the quarter two release slate where there's a lot of competition. We're going to get a better sense of how that plays out after the second and third weekends of this title. Yeah, in terms of holdovers, I mean, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how Evil Dead Rise holds up over uh, as as it gets closer to that month mark. I feel like it's one that uh, we didn't really talk about a ton on the podcast, just because you know, CinemaCon. Um, but it did open quite well, and it's holding quite well, and and I really uh, I really enjoyed the heck out of it. So horror movie notches another success and a horror movie that was originally slated to be one of those hbo max direct to streaming movies that under the new leadership of warner brothers discovery went full-on theatrical and as you mentioned now over 40 million after two weekends at the box office just performing very well i'm glad we're at that point right now in the industry's recovery when we're seeing studios adjust their strategy and just seeing they can make a lot more of an impact with these theatrical releases and windowing them out for streaming later down the road. Yeah, and that was definitely something that I think reps of all the major studios who presented at CinemaCon this year really hammered home that they are providing quantity and quality in terms of their upcoming release date schedules. Of course, well, uh, along with CinemaCon, along with the studio presentations there, we do, uh, as always, have a lot of tech news, a lot of, uh, of evolution going on in terms of some of the big tech companies, Daniel. We saw uh, a lot of deals get inked or at least announced. Yeah, let's go over the major news here. I think it can be separated into two categories based on the press releases that we received last week. Number one, Laser is making more inroads around the world. The quality of that standard auditorium is improving. And number two, premium large formats are just getting bigger and bigger. Let's start with Laser here, Rebecca, because Cineonic, the cinema technology manufacturer, reaching a major milestone in terms of laser upgrades and auditoriums. Yeah, they reached uh, the 3,000 unit milestone for their laser light upgrades, which is a system whereby old xenon projectors can have their light source upgraded to get kind of the, you know, some of the benefits of laser in terms of image quality and sustainability without the cost of having to, you know, buy a whole new projector. Cineonic also inking deals with, I believe, with, uh, with Malco, with National Amusement Showcase in the U.S. Also with Laser, we have Christie, which is now adding screens through various exhibitors in Morocco, in Mexico City. Yeah, it was, it was a heavy-duty laser, laser, laser at CinemaCon. Yeah, and you mentioned that deal with uh, with Malco. That means that Cineonic is going to be outfitting all of Malco's locations to laser domestically. And the National Amusement Steel that you mentioned with Cineonic, Rebecca, that's a five-year transition to bring laser projection into all of those locations, both in the U.S. and U.K. circuits for the National Amusements Showcase Circuit, improving that standard auditorium and also helping premiums to be more premium. And I think a big example of that was the news of Cineonic becoming the official 
laser projection partner for CJ4D Plexus ScreenX systems. For our listeners that may not be familiar, the ScreenX system is a panoramic screen that basically takes a triptych projection system with two parallel peripheral projection bases leading into the main screen around you. So it's really a 180 degree screen, if you will. It's, it's really an amazing piece of technology. Synionic becoming the official laser provider of that tech moving forward, which is really going to help the brightness levels that o- those auditoriums need in order for that technology to work. I think that's going to be making a big difference for moviegoers, even though they may not be immediately aware of it. I think a lot of moviegoers are going to be coming out of theaters in the coming years thinking, hey, is it just me or is it brighter on the screen or did the movie look a little bit better? And that's exactly what we need from an event like CinemaCon. Yeah, and it's the exhibitor's job to make sure that moviegoers do know and do recognize when that quality has been bumped up a notch. And not to forget our friends up in the north, Cineonic also signed a deal with Cineplex, the uh, largest exhibitor in Canada, for a multi-year rollout of 800 laser projectors across Canada. So yeah, we're all really seeing kind of the baseline level of, of cinema projection quality really take a few steps forward. And there was a lot of movement on the premium side as well, Rebecca, with IMAX adding significant locations both domestically and overseas. IMAX has now signed agreements for 63 new or upgraded auditoriums around the world this year alone. That is more than in the entirety of 2022. Great momentum for that format. We just heard from Q1, you you had reported this last week, Rebecca, that IMAX just saw its best quarter ever of all time. Uh, yeah, Daniel, their biggest quarter ever, and their momentum is is really going strong. Uh, they did sign a deal for eight new theaters with Evo Entertainment, which runs and operates family entertainment centers, another big topic in the cinema world. And of course, you know, it, the momentum is going in terms of content as well as we move into the summer season, have a lot of big tent poles coming down the line. Yeah, we'll be talking a little bit more about those tent poles that are going to be available in premium formats shortly. But going over the rest of these upgrades for IMAX, three new locations for CMX cinemas in the U.S. for IMAX coming in the following months. Internationally, the French circuit Megarama adding three new IMAX systems in France and Morocco. There are two new IMAX locations coming to Vietnam through Galaxy Cinema and up to 10 new IMAX theaters in Thailand and Cambodia through major Cineplex. So we're seeing this growth, Rebecca, on premium formats, both domestically and overseas. Of course, IMAX isn't the only game in town. Dolby Cinema, which is exclusive to AMC theaters here in the U.S., but is open to anyone around the world, is now closing in on 300 locations worldwide. They are up to 290 Dolby Cinema installs around the world with recent openings in the UK, Japan, and South Korea. Now, we're talking about these tech auditoriums, these third-party PLFs. That's not the only part of the premium conversation that exists. There's a new format out of France called OMA Cinema, which the premium there is its architecture. It's kind of like an opera hall. They completely reconfigure the seating arrangements, these auditoriums. They're stunning to look like. They look great. I mean, it's kind of like a, like a, 
beehive situation almost. It looks like to me like the Senate chamber in the Star Wars prequel trilogy. That's, that's perfect. Yeah. I'm a nerd. That's a perfect comparison. It's a really interesting concept. It A, provides sort of the privacy, I guess, that, uh, that we're seeing become more and more popular among cinemas, like cinemas introducing pod concepts. And then you're closer to the screen as well. Previously, we heard that Oma Cinema was going to launch a location with the number one Indian cinema chain, PVR Inox. And then over CinemaCon, we also heard that they'll be launching their first location in France. And that Oma Cinema location in Mougon, France, is opening later this year through the CineWest circuit that Rebecca mentioned. It's going to be a good evolution, I think, in terms of complementing these premium formats, these premium auditoriums that audiences are actively seeking out. But of course, as you mentioned, Rebecca, they don't work in isolation. They need content. They need movies to hit their full potential. And we'll be going over all of our major takeaways, including the best movies and best presentations that we saw at CinemaCon 2023 after this break, because first we have a message from our sponsor this week, Jack Rowe. This week's news segment is brought to you by Jackra, whose ticketing point of sale system, or Tapos, has customers singing its praises. Mark Williams of Scott Cinemas says, We have worked with Tapos for over 25 years using its ticketing and concessions point of sale system, as well as online booking and card payment facilities. They've helped us navigate an ever-changing landscape and helped us as an independent cinema operator to keep our ticketing modern. We have worked closely with the development and support teams to customize the systems to meet our needs, with particular focus in recent years on working towards a cloud-based head office. For more information, visit www.jackrow.com. That's J-A-C-R-O.com. Thank you very much, Rebecca, and thank you to Jack Rowe for sponsoring this week's episode. You can listen to an interview with Alan Rowe, the CEO of Jack Rowe, in our feature segment coming up shortly. But first, let's cap off this entire recap of CinemaCon 2023, Rebecca, by going over our major takeaways and a new feature segment that we have here. We're giving out awards. We made up some awards. We're giving them out now. Maybe we do it next year. Maybe we don't. We'll see. Uh, Let's start with the major takeaways of the event. Rebecca, what do you walk away from CinemaCon 2023 with? Uh, exhaustion. Uh, uh, that that would that would be that would be number one. No, it was interesting because this was only my fourth CinemaCon, and I've only been to one. You know, pre COVID, the, the 2019 edition. You know, and I heard from multiple people that this year's show is the first one that really felt like CinemaCon in a while. You know, it reminds me of something that our colleague at Celluloid Junkie, Patrick Wanczykowski, mentioned during a conversation we had uh, last week. He said that this year's CinemaCon wasn't about movies or coming back. It was about movies. That's it. It's not about the potential. It's not about the recovery. It's about we're there. How do we make the most out of it? And that's something that I that I really felt was present all over the event, whether it's in meetings with exhibitors, at the trade show floor, and even in the studio presentations. And that was also reflected in an interview that I had with Adam Aaron, the chief executive officer of AMC Theaters, the world's largest exhibition circuit and the largest one in the U.S. Celluloid junkies Sperling Reich and I had the pleasure of interviewing Adam at Las Vegas last week during CinemaCon. You can find that full interview online on our website now, boxofficepro.com 
Com. It's up on our homepage. Some major insights from that conversation on Adam Aaron's takeaways from CinemaCon 2023, I think really reflect what the event itself uh, was promoting. That this is an ecosystem, according to Adam Aaron, that isn't built for a $7.5 billion box office. It's not an ecosystem that's built for a $4.2 billion box office. It's an ecosystem that's built for an $11 billion plus domestic market. That's why windows are there. That's why exclusivity exists. That's how everyone can thrive in this marketplace. And Adam Aaron does suspect that this industry is going to recover. He looks at the pandemic in total to be a four to six year pause or derailment of where we were beforehand. He thinks it's probably going to end up being five years total since 2020. We are getting back to that $11 billion figure, but we can't expect to happen overnight. It's going to be progress little by little. And that time frame to recovery to that $11 billion plus consistency that AMC is expecting, he's thinking it's going to come between 2025, 2026. That's when we're going to get back to our full capacity. This year, however, Gower Street, the forecasting firm, is expecting around $9 billion in box office domestically, which is a good improvement from last year's $7.5 billion. So it is momentum, but we have to step back and not have to be obsessive about getting there all at once. It's a journey. We have to get there step by step. I think the major point that uh, that Adam Aaron shared in our conversation had to do with uh, M&A, had to do with acquisitions. I was able to sit down with Adam Aaron directly and just be very upfront, ask him, hey, AMC has grown through acquisitions really over the last five years. Are there any plans to continue acquiring more circuits or screens, either domestically or internationally. Very interesting response from him, Rebecca. AMC's open to it. Uh, I think something he brought up that we forget is that AMC bought up a lot of Arclight locations after that company went out of business during the pandemic. AMC also acquired, I think, over half of the Bowtie locations in the Northeast after Bowtie decided to sell them. So it's not like AMC isn't out there buying theaters. They've been actively acquiring, even during the pandemic, they don't look to stop. They're gonna continue looking at opportunities. So don't be surprised if AMC is a buyer in the coming months and years. And looking at what's going to be screening in some of those AMC locations, Daniel, as you mentioned earlier in this episode, you can look back at our week of, of CinemaCon podcasts where we do a studio by studio breakdown of the dozens of films that were discussed over the past week. But for people who maybe don't have hours on their hands or want a more macro level overview, we thought we'd go over kind of some of the films that made the best impression either on us personally or on the CinemaCon audience as a whole. And starting with that latter category, the movies that kind of came out of CinemaCon with the most buzz. We talk about CinemaCon, we talk about the buzzy titles at the event. You have to think in terms of who won CinemaCon. Last year, it would have to be Top Gun Maverick with a screening, with Paramount coming in and really promoting this title. This year, I think we have to say it as it is, I think Barbie walks away as the buzziest title coming from CinemaCon 2023, right? 
100%. And I think a large part of that is that the new trailer gave us a lot of stuff that we didn't know about the movie, kind of in terms of, uh, you know, Barbie going into the real world and how the film would work. I mean, still and Oppenheimer are, are the two that I'm most looking forward to this summer, also coming out the same day. But I feel like with Oppenheimer, you know, it was great to hear Christopher Nolan uh, talk about the film and its theatrical presentation. I was already about at about at a 10 level of hype for that one. So, uh, so I don't really know how much higher it can get, but. And the other title that I missed actually, because I went to the bathroom at the worst possible moment during the universal presentation, you got to see a surprising amount of footage, early footage of Wicked, considering that this movie isn't coming out until the second half of 2024. Yeah, this is uh, Wicked Part One. They're splitting it up into two films. Uh, is the film that closed off Universal's presentation on Wednesday. It's kind of a mix of like behind the scenes footage and some, you know, some some talking heads. It really looked amazing. And then with the Flash as well, Daniel, this screened on, I believe, was it. Tuesday, it was Tuesday, Wednesday, they all blur together at a certain point. Not, we were not able to be there at that screening because I think we were probably recording one of the podcasts at that time. But yeah, I heard, you know, we were kind of canvassing and then seeing what the response was. It was good, if not the, you know, rapturous reception that Top Gun Maverick got last year. Though I think a large part of that was like the surprise of it. There was, you know, no one expected Top Gun Maverick to really be that good and that successful. Whereas, like, Flash is part of a franchise. We, we kind of knew what to expect. I think Top Gun Maverick was just an outlier. And it also helps that it was the right demographic to screen Top Gun Maverick. I think The Flash is going for a younger demographic. I think there were positive reactions to the screening at CinemaCon. I'll tell you my concern with the marketing materials that we saw during the Warner Brothers presentation is that if we go by what was shown to us by the studio, they're trying to promote The Flash as Batman No Way Home rather than The Flash. It looks like just a DCEU version of that, you know, very popular Spider-Man sequel where you get callbacks to former characters, other things going on. I still think they've got a marketing headache they have to navigate, but I don't think it's going to be impossible to make a lot of money in this title. This might be one of the biggest earners of the year. It just depends how high it goes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, considering... This is the first time, I mean, it's not the first time we've seen this character in the DCU. I feel like The Flash has been kind of sprinkled throughout different films for the past, like, what, five or six years? But this is the first solo film, highly anticipated, uh, a marketing challenge, definitely, uh, with, with Ezra Miller being somewhat of a, of a controversial figure nowadays. But yeah, I mean, we'll see how that goes on opening weekend when the film comes out. And of course, you can uh, check back a little closer to release on boxofficepro.com to get a look at what we're predicting for the opening weekend and for the total domestic run. What I really like about CinemaCon is, is, is seeing glimpses of those films that either we didn't really know much about or we weren't particularly excited for, and, and really feeling that, feeling that discovery process of like, oh, wow, this could be good. Like, this looks fun. Um, for me, I would have to give that most improved title uh, to Wonka, I believe, from uh, from Warner Brothers, directed by Paul King. I really did not like the Tim Burton one. And to see from the trailer that this one is hearkening back to, more to the Mel Stewart one, more to the Gene Wilder movie. Yeah, I'll, I'll eat crow. I was kind of skeptical on this one, but now I'm, I'm quite excited. Yeah, on my end, Rebecca, I think my big questions had to do with 
uh, Disney's upcoming animated releases this year. We know that they've struggled to find success theatrically with Pixar, especially in that mid-June slot where Pixar titles have usually performed. Lightyear did not perform well last year. And last year at CinemaCon, Disney showed us 20 minutes of Lightyear ahead of its mid-June release. I don't think that footage wowed anyone, but this year it was a different story altogether. We also saw 20 minutes of the new Pixar title that's coming to theaters in mid-June, this being Elemental. And guess what? The footage looks great, and it looks great in 3D. We know that 3D is having a little bit of a revival after Avatar came out. I think my most improved here has to be uh, Elemental coming out from Disney Pixar in mid-June because it really looks like the sort of movie that can put Pixar back on the map. And oh boy, exhibition needs Pixar to get back on the map. Yeah, it can really turn this narrative around because I, I feel like there's this there's this thought of like, oh, Pixar's in a slump. Its movies aren't, aren't doing well at the box office. Like Lightyear was the only thing that really got a substantial theatrical release right. over the past few Pixar releases. Like, I don't know if you can call it a trend based off of that one. And regardless of your opinions on how Disney, you know, their release strategy for the Pixar films that came out during the pandemic. I mean, that doesn't say anything as to the quality of those films. I mean, you, you, you watched Soul, you really liked it. Turning Red was good. Oh, both Soul and Turning Red are among the best Pixar movies ever made. They went directly on Disney+. Plus. Disappointing, but that doesn't mean the movies aren't any good. They're great movies. I wish they would have gotten a theatrical release. Disney opted for a different strategy, but they're opting back to a theatrical first strategy moving forward. And I think Elemental can help regain a lot of that momentum the studio has lost during the pandemic. The other title that Disney has a lot riding on is Wish, a movie that on paper seemed like a cynical cash grab, to be very upfront with you, which is basically a movie looking at the studio's own history and influence. It basically takes its title from the whole Wish Upon a Star song. It just, it, everything about it looked like an eye roll. We got to see uh, one full song performed with very crude animation. It's still in production, so we can't judge the visuals quite yet. But I was impressed by what I saw. It looked like Disney going to that animation release date of Thanksgiving that traditionally has served audiences well, but hasn't in recent years with a princess movie that has a talking animal in it. That's a formula that works. We need that mid-June Pixar movie to get audiences excited. We're getting that in Elemental. You want that Walt Disney animation, princess with talking animal movie and songs to come out in Thanksgiving. You know, it's conceptual. It's very macro level. But, you know, we're at a point right now where we haven't been able to rely on Disney. Even if it's formulaic, we still need the formula for this box office to work the way it should. We need that back to basics Disney. And I think we're getting that this year with these two titles. Those would be in my most improved section here at CinemaCon 2023. Unfortunately, we also have to talk about the other side of the coin here. Rebecca, we also saw some titles at CinemaCon that we weren't quite sure about. I've got some concerns. You've got some concerns. Let's start with a Warner Brothers lame duck DC Extended Universe. Three movies to close out the former iteration of these DC comic book adaptations. And yikes, I mean, I think The Flash is going to perform. I think Aquaman has enough writing on it to close out in the last part of the year with that December 20th release date. But squeezed in the middle in that early fall, late summer, September, August corridor, we've got something called Blue Beetle. And I've got a lot of questions about this movie. 
Definitely. And, and, and like, I, I want to be sure to clarify too, that like we all have our, our own personal opinions about what movies we think look good or what don't. And, and ultimately that's, you know, at the end of the day, that that's not what's particularly relevant to, to our partners in exhibition, but with films like the DCU's Blue Beetle, I mean, on the plus side, yeah, as our uh, colleague Romeo Deschen pointed out last week on an episode of the podcast, that first teaser trailer that we saw a few months back did really good on YouTube. But yeah, I mean, just due to its position on the calendar and its position within Warner Brothers' DC franchise, it's a, it's a risk. It's a, it's a brand new character from the comics who's never been on the big screen before. I mean, that could work out well for it, or it could you could run the risk of the movie kind of feeling inessential when you know the DCU is going to reboot next year and, you know, potentially we would never see this Beatle fella ever again. Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it. It runs the risk of being inessential, introducing a character right as the party is about to end. It's like showing up to the bar at 1.45 a.m., 15 minutes before last call and ordering a pitcher of beer. Maybe you finish it before they kick you out. Maybe you don't. It can go either way here with Blue Beetle. But it is, I think, a question in where the movie is situated in the schedule itself. Not about the movie itself. We can't talk about that. We can't say anything about the movie proper. Maybe it's a great film. But I think there's a lot of similarities with another DCEU title that didn't work out too well in the box office recently. Too many Shazam vibes for me to be comfortable. And right now that Shazam property isn't one you want to be looking like if you're a DC title. Yeah, that full trailer for Blue Beetle definitely looked Shazammy, which, you know, is not personally having me lining up to buy a ticket. But beyond the DCU, Daniel, another uh, franchise that I, well, I came into CinemaCon kind of confused and concerned and curious, and I leave CinemaCon the same way. Lionsgate's reboot of the Hunger Games franchise with the prequel film, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. One of these days, I'm going to remember that before we record every podcast episode where we're going to talk about the Hunger Games, I need to have this title in front of me because I will mix the words up. Yeah, I mean, the trailer looked fine. It looked good. It looked very much like it maybe belongs in that wave of YA dystopia movies that we saw in the 2010s. I don't know if this movie has enough juice to kickstart this entire franchise uh, in a way that, that Lionsgate, I'm sure, hopes it will. Listen, that YA dystopian franchise adapted through best-selling books. That worked for Lionsgate fantastically in the beginning of the 2010s. By the end of the 2010s, it wasn't working at all. To go back to this well, I think it's a risk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It hasn't been that long. It's like, how can we miss you if you won't go away? (laughs) It's a big risk, but you know what? Lionsgate is very, very bullish on it. They have a lot lot writing on this title. They believe that the audience can come back, even without star Jennifer Lawrence. This movie is set, I think, 64 years before the original Hunger Games story is set. They really want to revive this world. I'm just not sure that this genre, this concept of young adult dystopian novels has the same cachet in the zeitgeist today than it did 10 years ago. You know, there's always a risk to that when you want to revive an old franchise and a risk when uh, when you want to do something that is gasp original IP and not based on a, on a previous book or a movie or TV show. Um, you know, that's always kind of my, my favorite part 
uh, of CinemaCon is seeing those, you know, the things that you, you didn't, you didn't know you were going to be looking forward to for the, uh, you know, kind of the biggest surprises of CinemaCon for me. I have to, you missed this one too. And this was like, the Fall Guy, a uh, part of Universal's presentation, a film by uh, David Leitch, who you've interviewed like five times. This would be the one that I would say you would be the most looking forward to. This is the most Daniel movie, and you weren't even there to see it. No, no, because that <laughs> that Universal presentation was like running up to three hours in length, and we got stuff to do. We got stuff to do. Thank God you were actually being professional and doing your job, Rebecca. Now, this is a movie directed by a former stunt guy based on a TV show starring Lee Majors, but they're going big on the whole innovative stunts thing for this movie. And you know what? The production team behind this movie knows how to approach that concept. I feel silly for having missed this, but if it's on your radar, it's on mine. I'm looking forward to that. And there was another movie that also sort of crept up on you that you weren't expecting to be so intrigued by. This is the Broadway musical adaptation of The Color Purple. Now, it always helps when talent is on hand to help promote movies here at CinemaCon, but when Oprah shows up, you're going to pay a little bit closer attention. Yeah, that's another one from uh, from Warner Brothers, Daniel, coming out in the Christmas corridor this year speaks to uh, the confidence that they that they have in the title and what they have writing on it definitely looked interesting. It looked amazing. It looked like they very much are, are leaning into the big screen spectacle of it all. Yeah, and that's coming out, I think, in the Christmas period. Look for a possible slow rollout for this. I think if we look at how Sony released something like A Man Called Auto last year, this could play a similar role, right? There's going to be a lot of movies coming Mm -hmm. out in Christmas. Maybe The Color Purple takes a little bit of time to gather word of mouth. Another example is The Greatest Showman, right? That's another movie that came out in the holiday season that built up a little bit. This could play that role for exhibition. Yeah, that's a movie that came to mind with this, especially because Oprah was talking about how, you know, this is a crowd movie. She really puts a heavy emphasis on, you know, gather all your friends and your relatives and, you know, get everyone to come and see this movie. So, I mean, I think word of mouth is going to be an essential component of the rollout for this one. Another one that, Daniel, that I don't think was on either of our radars before coming into this year's CinemaCon, dumb money from Sony. Uh, What's dumb about that money? There's nothing dumb about money that goes into the box office. We all benefit from it. And dumb money coming out from Sony is a big short-like take in terms of tone and vibe to the meme stock craze that we had around GameStop, the retail video game company. Uh, Of course, there's been two major meme stocks during the pandemic, one of them being GameStop, the other one being, a little bit surprisingly, AMC Theaters, of all things. This wave of retail investors coming in. Yeah, maybe we get a sequel down the line with what happened with AMC Theaters. But this one, at least, is focusing on the GameStop part of the conversation. It's something relevant, I think, to us as we were just as surprised by this whole meme stock craze, obviously covering it from the AMC side. We got to see that movie adaptation talking about the GameStop experience in this Seth Rogen leading a cast that includes Vincent D'Onfrio, that also includes uh, Paul Dano. I'm really looking forward to this. And I think if they market it along the lines of a big short, like adult skewing movie that is a little bit funny, that's a little bit wonky, I think they can get a nice mid-range hit out of this movie. It was definitely the most surprising film of CinemaCon 2023 for me. 
And let's step away from individual titles, Rebecca. We do have to talk about what our favorite studio presentation was of this year. A couple of good contenders here. What do you walk away with as the best studio presentation of CinemaCon 2023? Yeah, I like the Sony one. It's the one that, that kicked off this year's CinemaCon. I, as always, I think they do a really good job of, uh, of setting the tone for the show. My favorite, I think, studio presentation of this year came through Paramount. I mean, any studio that starts their presentation with its head of distribution crawling out of a sewer and handing a slice of pizza to our friend Brandon Jones from uh, Film Frog Marketing and ends after talking to Rihanna and Martin Scorsese is something that I'm going to think of. That's exactly what Paramount did at CinemaCon. I would walk away with that being the best studio presentation of this year. And uh, talking about Rihanna, we joked about having this award. Now we're going to throw it on there. The inaugural David Passman Fashion Icon at CinemaCon Award. You think it should go to Rihanna. I think it should go to Andrew Cripps and Jeff Goldstein of Warner Brothers for those uh, hot pink suits that they walked in to introduce the Barbie movie on. You know what? And and I can see it. I feel like in terms of the the fashion feats that are, are conceivable to be pulled off by the average person, Rihanna's like, she's on a whole different level. You know, Warner Brothers, we're all just human. Rihanna is something else with the designers and all the reasons. But yeah, bright pink Barbie suits uh, to introduce the Warner Brothers presentation. I love and it. you know what? If if I don't see Andrew Cripps wearing that hot pink suit like socially at Cine Europe in Barcelona this year, we're rescinding the award. We're giving it to someone else. This award is contingent if Andrew Cripps wears it at Cine Europe. That's the deal. We'll take it back otherwise. Set in stone. Bam. <laughs> Done. And of course, we can't talk about CinemaCon without talking about the goodie bag, which has been depressingly empty the last couple of years as we got back from the pandemic. We had it filled a little bit better this year. Thank you to all of the vendor partners that put stuff in that goodie bag. What was the best thing in the goodie bag? The last award we're going to give here at CinemaCon 2023. Ah, the best thing in the goodie bag. The only thing that matters to me is those Rico's chips and cheese. I just, I love those things. And it's not a trade show without them. Shout out to my friend Mary at Carasotas for letting me eat hers too, because she knows how much I love them. Uh, no joke. We are so busy at these events that... That Rico's uh, gift bag with the nacho cheese ends up being the only thing that I eat at least once a CinemaCon, every CinemaCon. Since I started going last 10 years, it's sustenance. It was a CinemaCon definitely fueled by like coffee and nacho cheese. That's usually how mm. it goes. And the free Red Bulls being given out on the trade show floor. I know Vital. a lot of people were relying on those. Vital. Really, <laughs> a big high five to our friends at Red Bull that showed up with those free Red Bulls on the trade show floor. Really, really won in terms of goodie bag items. But I do have to tell you, anybody that attended... They open up that goodie bag, and lo and behold, in there is a full-on feature film, a DVD for a Jeff Bezos biopic starring uh, Kevin Sorbo. I didn't take it back with me. If anybody did and wants to do a review on this movie, they're welcome on the podcast. Just drop us a line. That is a bold marketing move to whoever produced this movie. Though, to be fair, uh, Kevin Sorbo is not starring in the movie, playing Jeff Bezos as an actor named Armando Gutierrez. But when Kevin Sorbo's name is on the DVD cover, your eye just kind of goes right there. And again, please, please reach out to either Rebecca and I if you watch this thing. It's just wild that it's a bag full of like movie theater candy 
and just a feature film, just in there, thrown in on there. Amazon, on Amazon, of all things. <laughs> of all things. So a big high five to whoever engineered that. I do genuinely hope that helps out that uh, that feature film. That's like a guerrilla marketing campaign to make sure that like exhibitors get an eye on your movie. Uh, not a not a bad shout. Good call. Shoot your shot. Shoot your shot. You never know what's going to happen. That's a really good sneaky way to get that movie on your radar of exhibition. Not a bad move. Well, Rebecca, thank you for this big breakdown of everything that went over at CinemaCon 2023. After the break, we've got our interview with Alan Rowe, the chief executive officer of Jack Rowe, going over everything at the trade show and an update on the point of sales industry, where point of sales for cinemas is evolving, where it's headed. A great conversation on cinema technology coming up after the break. And we are back here on the Box Office Podcast with Alan Rowe, the CEO of Jack Rowe. Alan, you were at the trade show at CinemaCon 2023. You've been at the trade show now for many years, including those post-pandemic comeback years. What was uh, what was your feeling of this year's show like? I thought it was great. There was a really positive vibe just throughout. I think uh, part of it stems from just content, positivity around the content. Obviously, we've just had Mario right behind us and still going on, in fact, which itself is a good sign. And I think during the pandemic, people were making some changes because they, you know, the cinemas are closed. So some changes like, for example, obviously, in our case, you know, POS upgrades, they were, they were significantly up. And then when cinemas opened, they were kind of finding their feet a bit again, you know, like operationally took everything they had just to find people to fill the spaces where people were no longer there. And they had skeleton teams and obviously, you know, uh, changes in cash flow and so on. You could really see that when they opened and a sort of a, a fear for lack of content. But now that they've got that content and now that I think, you know, cinemas are able to go you know, a little bit on autopilot on day-to-day operations, you know, that sort of muscle memory is going again with, you know, new people in place. Then they're now looking around and going, okay, cool. I've, I've got, you know, that sort of resource to look at, you know, operational, you know, financial and, and also looking ahead a bit more to say positivity. And they're saying, well, you know, what next? So, I mean, we see it saying, I think there was some projector announcements with, uh, say, you know, Malco and Cineplex's um, laser rollouts. Certainly, there seems to be a huge number of Apple systems going in. And it's a similar thing with POS, where people are looking at it and going, all right, I actually have the time now to look at this decision. And yeah, that, that's fantastic. So as I say, very positive vibe at the trade show in general, and then absolutely seeing it filtering into, uh, into our se- section two. Yeah, I think one of the things that that really stood out for me this year was that even though we were very happy to all get back together, not only for CinemaCon, but for Cine Europe, coming back in, in years like 2021 and 2022, the trade shows at those events were still far from what they were in 2019 and before. What was uh, your impression of the foot traffic, of the number of vendors that attended the trade show at the event this year? Because as we know, I think that's a good gauge of where the recovery is. Are cinemas investing? Yeah, I would say I, I was saw a fair number of, of vendors and certainly some new ones, um, as, as, as is always the case at, at CinemaCon. In terms of the, the cinemas themselves, yes, they were, they were there. They are looking to buy things, definitely. As ever, you know, obviously there's you know, some clashes of screenings, but I don't see that as a problem. You know, plenty of time then to catch up and other things on the trade show floor to arrange meetings with other people who perhaps aren't registered for the full event. You know, between those screenings, I mean, it was, it was busy. Like, I don't think anyone this year can be complaining about traffic at CinemaCon trade show. Um, yeah, it was fantastic. Let's talk about point of sale system because this is uh, the POS business, I think, is one that 
has seen a little bit of evolution since the pandemic with the wider implementation of reserved seating here in the United States. In the U.S., reserved seating started being a thing, I I don't know, you can correct me, I'd say maybe 10 to 15 years ago, but really after the pandemic instituted policies for, for a bit of a time on spacing out between seats, it seemed like reserved seating really took up and took off and you needed to have the right POS partner. You've been on this business for over 25 years, Alan. Where do you see this going next? Well, a lot of the time with Cinema POS, uh, and I'm sure all of the products in cinema, it's, it's down to the sort of the depth of the feature. So you can potentially tick a box and go, right, I've got reserved seating. But then, like, how, how deep does that go? You know, can you, say, order food online when you're selling those tickets for that reserved seating? How does the customer-facing display look? Is it, uh, is it, does it have a touchscreen option? You know, do you have seat locks on various things so you don't have people competing to buy the same seat in a single transaction? How do you handle it when you do have a massive surge in ticket sales, like some of these big ticket announcements and so on? And then... Right down to things like uh, different seat types in auditoriums. So, you know, we've seen some um, cinemas with up to three different seat types in the same auditorium. You know, how do you handle that? Um, if people upgrade from, you know, someone walks in, someone buys a ticket, goes in and then goes, oh, God, I've just seen, you come back out again. I've just seen your, your luxury seating. I'd really like to sit there. Like, you know, how do you handle that that seat move? You know, does it mean a full refund and a full resale or is it just a few clicks and, and moving seats? And then, you know, we've got some customers where they've got reserved and unreserved seating in the same auditorium. You know, it's that level of depth of things that I think cinemas are really getting into now. Is it's okay, yeah, allocated seating, you're absolutely right. It's, as you say, it's really taken off uh, with the pandemic and, and the last 10, 15 years in the States is sort of ahead of that. But then it's like, okay, well, I've got that, but what else can I do? How, where can I take it now? And what are the biggest changes that, that you've seen personally in the POS space over the past recent years? We, we mentioned having that ability to go in and go a little bit more in depth in things. So I would say that, that recently, one of the things is, is in a lot of cases, I think in life in general, you know, people will find a solution that ticks a box at the time and then kind of look to refine it. And I think at the moment, we're going through a bit of a, a refining period at the moment where people have opened, say, um, you know, family entertainment centers and things like that. And by necessity, they've therefore introduced a variety of different systems just because they kind of had to at the time. And now they're looking to consolidate that and just saying, like, this is too complex. You know, we see in some cases that uh, when they approach us, they've got POS, they've got FNB, they've got a separate CRM system they've got their loyalty in there they've got um, arcade machines and just none of it's talking to each other and then you end up pulling in a whole nother company just to glue the data together and they're just saying like there has to be a better way and and that seems to be a lot of the conversations that we're having uh, at the moment so if you're talking to a cinema right now looking to either upgrade or change the point of sale system looking at all the, these new possibilities that they can take in as you mentioned maybe they added amenities maybe they added a kitchen maybe they added a cinema entertainment center maybe they're just instituting now reserved seating what's the sort of advice that you would give those cinemas looking for a new POS provider right now Above all, do your research. I find that there's broadly speaking two types of, of approach we get. One is I've, you know, I've, I just, I've reached the limits of my POS. I need something, something new or they've fallen out with the vendor for some reason. And then the other one is I did that and then I put something else in and now I've realized that I made, you know, that wasn't the right choice. And, you know, replacing POS, you know, it's a painful process. You know, operationally, you need to get the retraining. You need to redo your onboarding manuals. And there's making sure you've got the features, integrations and so on. And, you know, to see in some cases, you know, as one we did recently, we were the third system in two years. And, you know, you just go, oh, they could have saved themselves so much pain. So, yeah, do your research, definitely. Like, look at all the systems that are out there and have some really detailed questions. So, as I say, like, it's one thing ticking a box in terms of a feature, like, you know, do you have time clock? 
and it's like, oh yeah, sure, yeah, we've got time clock, or you know, could quickly write it, whatever it is. But you know, when it comes down to, oh yeah, but can you assign different roles to people, different wages? Do you do overtime calculations for metrics? You have uh, exports for different formats, and what those formats look like, and they prove no period of time. What's the audit reports look like? You know, then that's where you know, that's that's years of development. And so, as I say, like, ask the detailed questions, ask the difficult ones. You know, this is your, you know, you're essentially <laughs> dating for a pod system. You know, you've got to ask the detailed questions. Don't jump in with both feet until you, you know, you're really sure it's the right one. You know, we often see cinema ticking systems are in for 25 years, certainly 15 years. I think, and, you know, people people talk about the difference between, you know, what's more important, you know, picture or sound. Well, I mean, I'd put POS up there. I mean, if it's in there for, say, 20 years, that's presumably two projector life cycles. You use it every single day. It's vital to your operations. It's what keeps your cinema going. And it's a sort of investment, as you mentioned, Alan, maybe consumers would treat a car, buying a new car, where you're going to buy one every X number of years and you're really going to invest in it. You better make sure that it has everything you need. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. So, yeah, as you say, if you want to kick the tires, definitely. Like, really, really <laughs> kick the tires. Take a bit of test drive, you know, ask those difficult questions up front and, and pick once and, and, and try and get it right close time. Well, keeping with that car analogy, um, I'm in New York City. I haven't owned a car for a number of years. It's always amazing when I go into like new cars, all the standard features that were just impossible when, <laughs> when I used to drive 10, 12 years ago. It's the same thing with POS systems, right? If you haven't upgraded in a while, if you haven't seen what's out there now, you're going to be really surprised by what some of these systems can do. And as we mentioned, this is, it's kind of like buying a toothbrush. You're going to use it every single day. You want to make sure you have something that's going to help you get through on a daily basis. What are those features that are critical to the POS systems that are coming out today? Yeah, you remind me a bit of uh, something. My, my dad loves keeping his, his old car going, and he does, you know, gets the thing rewelded and resprayed and all this different stuff and so on. And then the other day, he went and hired a car because his car was predictably in the shop, and you know, and he was he was just saying how amazing it was. All that, you know, the the wing mirrors folds in, and it's got a camera at the back, and and it was it is impressive what they can do. I mean, things like the upscreen dash was was, was impressive, but a lot of these features have been in for 10, 15 years. I mean, one of the things that you know we most often hear when we do a demo is people say, well, "I didn't know Cinema Press could do that," and it's like, well, yeah, I mean, you've, you know, yeah, you've probably not looked at our system before then, but yeah, we we hear it a lot, and you know, I think you know people talk about Cinema POS, you know, therefore they think of it as just a point of sale. I'm selling tickets and concessions. It's like, no, really, like. Cinema POS is what it was, you know, back in 2005. But all the systems have evolved. You know, I mentioned briefly Time Clock earlier. You know, then you've got, um, you know, inbuilt CRM and email um, segmentation and, and so on. You know, it's it's a lot more than a POS. You know, everyone has to do centralized gift cards, membership, loyalty. Uh, you've got, um, you know, custom data analytics and so on. Like, this is really more like an ERP, like, you know, system. This is a lot more than POS. And I think, yeah, that's well worth keeping in mind. You know, certainly sometimes we discover cinemas where they've integrated two or three different things and they, they just don't realize that a, a POS or some POSs can do, can do a lot more than just sending tickets to sessions. Absolutely. Well, Alan, thank you so much for joining us here on the Box Office Podcast. Always great to have you and thank you for your support of our show. Thanks so much, Daniel. Love the show. And that does it for this week's episode of the Box Office Podcast. A big thank you to Alan Rowe, our guest, and to my colleague and co-host Rebecca Polly for appearing in today's episode. We're back again next week with a new episode. The Box Office Podcast is a collaboration between Box Office Pro, the Box Office Company, and Record Edit Podcast. New episodes out every Thursday. Subscribe. Listen to us. Tell your friends that we're around. It helps us do what we do every week. And we'll talk to you again real soon.